This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. All right, Dan, going back to Saturday, nine degrees of kickoff, nine <laughs> below wind chill. I, it was an unpleasant experience uh, for everyone involved. Probably was uh, fun to go through if you are a fan and you're a shirtless guy and you got on television <laughs> and you can tell your kids one day that you were there the day that the Bears bottomed out. But I, uh, I don't know how – Many, many takeaways there really were to to get from the game itself. 35 to 13, the Bears were competitive uh, for the first half. They got had a halftime lead, and then the Bills woke up. They were in that game because Josh Allen kind of let them stay in that game. But the, to me, the overriding takeaway was the talent disparity between a Super Bowl contender and one of the worst teams in the league. Well, David, when I watched it back on Monday morning, it was – more clear to me that the bills came to town with like their C plus offensive effort, maybe, maybe C C plus somewhere in that range. And they rolled up 429 yards and won by 22 points. Right. And so it's a clear tell of obviously the bears were shorthanded. They, they shut down another couple defenders uh, on Friday with Jalen Johnson and Kendall Vildor going to injured reserve. And, and they're just trying to make the best of what they have left on the playing field. But the fact that the bills could do just about whatever they wanted in the second half was telling to me because you had uh, running backs going for long touchdown runs without being touched you had the bears dominated on both lines of scrimmage offensively and defensively you had uh, a team and we'll get into this at, at greater length in our qb1 segment in the bears that that couldn't get anything going offensively after their opening drive of the game only managed six points after the the first drive of the game and it was in large part because the bills made schematic adjustments and decision to make sure that justin fields the runner wouldn't beat them and he didn't. And then they didn't. And so there are things to unpack in there. Uh, while the result was predictable, while the result wasn't surprising, um, it, there, there, there are some things within that game that, that are illuminating if, if you look closely. On my list of concerns, uh, or at least the weaknesses that were exposed, the running defense, again, topped the list. 254 rushing yards by the Bills. The worst showing against the run at home since 2007. The Bears have backups replacing backups. I get it. In the secondary, uh, I felt like they had three rookies at cornerback, which if you do that and they're all kind of in backup roles, except for Kyler Gordon, you're going to have some problems. Jaquan Brisker did not have a good day. He's had a solid season, but he's one of those guys that on one of those 31-yard touchdown runs by Devin Singletary did not sell out and was not in the right position and and the position you're used to seeing him in. So run defense, number one, to me was a big problem. The offensive line was a mess. Larry Borum was exposed at left guard. You thought that was an opportunity for him. I don't think he passed that test. And then just overall, you just look at uh, the execution and the lack of a downfield passing game with wide receivers who are just not getting open. Yeah. It's all related. 
Yeah, well, and the full context is is going to be important to this one, just given the conditions out there on on Saturday afternoon. And so, um, you do give the Bears a little bit of wiggle room and a little bit of, of leniency, given the the fact that the passing game couldn't get going because the wind was a disaster. The cold was, you know, arctic and extreme. Uh, and you even see it on Cairo Santos's first point after touchdown attempt, where the snap comes and poor Trent Gill's got a, you know, like a catcher trying to catch a a wild pitch, get out there, grab it, get it down, and Cairo. Santos makes that kick. Uh, there's more on the kicker in a little bit as well, but um, you know, so so you, you you give them a little bit of wiggle room. But I think the the concern is is that if Justin Fields doesn't make rapid and marked growth as a passer within the Bears' passing offense, even when they get him upgraded talent on the offensive line and receiving core. This league is full of of really good coaches and really gifted athletes who are going to understand that if you're a one man gang. And, and the only thing they have to do to stop you is take away your, your threats as a runner, you're in big trouble. And, and so Saturday was just a, you know, not a warning of that, but it was at least a, a you know, I don't know what you'd call it, but it was just a, a show that you better have more in your toolbox as an offense. And that's on Justin, it's on Luke Getze, it's on Ryan Poles, it's on Matt Eberflus, it's on everyone to collectively get the pieces together that can bring together a balanced, versatile, you know, complete offense so that you don't have to rely on a 50-yard scramble every week in order to have offensive success. It was a grim reminder, yeah, of how far you have to go, I feel like, because the Bills are a team that you can envision playing for the AFC Championship, getting to the Super Bowl, and by the they were in a game that they basically controlled, but you, it wasn't really reflected. The, the score ended up, I think, more, more indicative of the kind of game it was. Yeah. They were eight points down, one possession with nine minutes to go, and then the Bills pulled, the bull, the Bills pulled away. I want to ask you this before we get into our game balls. So Leslie Frazier, a guy that you know well, uh, yeah. defensive coordinator, is getting a lot of credit for the way that they defended Justin Fields. And I don't know, in talking to Dave uh, Wanstead on the radio and just talking to other people and watching it again, I essentially think that they did was they, their defensive ends were just smart and disciplined. They were they were committed to containing Justin Fields in a way that was uh, just – responsible and you you build a pocket the four three the the cover two the shell that you create the umbrella however you want to describe it is very safe and is, is you, you you concede certain things but what the defensive ends in this defense did on while oliver was blowing it up inside they were able to contain justin fields and not let him get outside to the edge and not make one guy miss and everything be disruptive. How, how did you see it unfold? And, and what was your best understanding of why it, they were as successful as they were in limiting Justin Fields to 11 yards on seven carries? So we can talk about a couple of things here. And, and, and one of them is what you just talked about. Look, if you were going to defend the Bears uh, read option game, you're going to want your, uh, you know, we saw the Falcons earlier in the year deplo- deploy the, the mesh charge approach and, and, and basically use something in their toolbox to make sure that Justin Fields handed the ball off and didn't get to the edge. The, the, the Bills use a whole different approach by keeping their defensive ends out wide and trying to, to limit things there. They also use spies, um, you know, both up front and on the back end of the defense to just make sure they had eyes on Justin Fields at all times. This is going to be a strategy that opposing defenses can lean on until the Bears have someone else that can be a weapon that can make them pay for that. Now, uh, again, we can get into some of this later. The Justin Fields' first touchdown pass in the opening drive to Dante Pettis is a prime example 
of what happens when you're such a threat as a runner because the nickel cornerback never took his eyes off the quarterback and Dante Pettis ran uncovered to the back corner of the end zone and it was a, a pitch and catch that is you know schoolyard and you're going to complete it every time for a touchdown and that's that's where Justin's explosiveness as a runner now has bought the Bears advantages uh, offensively that they can utilize. I'm glad you bring up Leslie because I've said for a long time that I would love to see him get a head coaching job somewhere that has at some point a quarterback in place. His time in Minnesota was plagued by an organization that couldn't get that position right. And, and a guy who is really good as a motivator, really good as an X's and O's strategizer uh, failed there. And so it's going to be really interesting. He interviewed for a, a handful of jobs last offseason, including the Bears job. And this offseason cycle, you figure he's going to get uh, a few more looks from around the league. And it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. Obviously, an 85 Bear, right, who was very meaningful to that defense and the way they played. And he understands the game. And it'd be really cool to see what he could do with an opportunity. We digress, but curious because of your background covering the Vikings and knowing Leslie as you do, did he overlap with George Payton in Denver? They don't necessarily have a quarterback. They have one they're stuck with, but Russell Wilson is the guy. And now that they made the big move of getting rid of Nathaniel Hackett, I wonder if Leslie Frazier's name will come up because what Denver needs is almost what they got rid of. Vic Fangio was not the most dynamic head coach, but he did provide a measure of stability. He was somebody who was a football coach. It was a head coach in, in charge of keeping the, the train on the tracks. And it, it derailed this season badly under <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett. I wonder if Leslie Frazier's name surfaces as a possibility in Denver. It could. I, I don't think that's going to be the optimal fit. Uh, you know, George Payton and Leslie did overlap in, in Minnesota for his entire time as the head coach there. Um, I think they would probably go in a new direction. It's going to be interesting to see what that new ownership group of the Broncos does with George Payton at year's end as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and there's no no certainty there. This is a that's a fascinating situation. I was watching that game with family on, on Christmas Day at, at the, the, the living room at my mother's house. And, and I just said, you know, like with five minutes to go in the first half, I said, they may not let Nathaniel Hackett get on the plane after this. This is one of those high profile losses that just opens up the trap door under you. And sorry, thanks for stopping by, but this job isn't for you. And it turns out that way on Monday. So again, we digress, but uh, that's a, a, another indication for the bears. You say, okay, well, at least we didn't make a mistake that colossal, <laughs> yeah, right? I right, mean, Nathaniel right. Hackett was one of the, the candidates they interviewed for their head coaching position. And when you talk to people last winter, there was great enthusiasm about what his energy and, and teaching style could do for a young quarterback. What Nathaniel Hackett showed in Denver is there's a lot more to the head coaching job. And if you're not prepared for game management and situations and the ability to just get your arms around everything, it can get away from you in a hurry. And clearly that happened to the Broncos. I don't think he had a great day, but I maintain that the Bears got the right Packers assistant coach when they hired Luke <laughs> Getze and they stayed away from Nathaniel Hackett. All right, back to the Bears and Bills. Let's give out our game balls. I don't know if there's anybody that jumps out at you, Dan, but if you had to give out a game ball from Saturday's 35 to 13 loss, who'd you give it to? Well, I'm going to give you two, uh, and then you're going to have to scrounge for the third. Uh, but I'm going to give you Kyler Gordon first because of the, the, the ability to take the ball away in consecutive weeks and the ability to continue to show growth uh, in his rookie season that tells you, okay, we are trying to identify building block pieces, guys that can be um, – game-changing playmakers on a team that eventually will want to contend for a playoff spot. Kyler Gordon is that. And the, the, the interception in the first half against Josh Allen is just great awareness where, you know, they're playing a coverage 
when the tight end goes across the field, Kyler Gordon passes him off and Josh Allen doesn't recognize that he's retreating and, and throws a ball that he thinks is, is to a, a receiver who's got leverage. <laughs> and Kyler Gordon just retreats on the play and, and, and goes up and shows his ball skills. I think as much as anything, he gets the game ball for his ball skills and picking that pass off. Again, two weeks in a row of that, you're moving in the right direction when you've got a, a talent in the headliner of your draft class to take the ball away. I'm also going to give you Matt Adams. And just for the sheer fact that the fumble that he forced – was the hits principle personified. It's teaching tape in terms of getting to the ball carrier and then getting a fist on the football and knocking that thing out and getting a takeaway that Elijah Hicks ended up recovering on the ground. And so it's just an important thing down the stretch of the season for Matt Eberflus to have guys' attention enough to continue to execute the things he's been preaching. Matt Eberflus didn't give us an exact number, but said after the game, on Saturday that there was a goal that the Bears set for their last four games. Well, they've got six takeaways in their last two games. I would imagine if I was guessing that they maybe set a, a goal of 10 takeaways for the last four games, they got six of them in the last two. Let's see what they can do against the Lions and the Vikings. Only getting three points out of those three takeaways. That was the disappointing part. The fact Big that they them is a good one. Those are good ones. I'm going to be the guy that is always thinking of the kicker, always <laughs> going in that direction because I am uh, sympathetic to what they go through. Uh, Cairo Santos, the Bears scored 13 points. He was responsible for seven of them. And I think that when you look at what he has been through, and last week there was a seminar basically citywide <laughs> on Cairo Santos' mental state and whether or not it was physical and mental and don't talk about this and do talk about that. He kicked a 35-yarder, he kicked a 37-yarder, and he kicked a PAT. And he did it on a day where the conditions were as bad as they're going to get. The ground was like concrete. The temperature was distracting and the winds were swirling. So I think that Cairo Santos came back in a big way. And for that, he gets my game ball. So Tyler Bass would echo your sentiments because Tyler Bass, who's one of the better kickers in the league, missed two kicks and just noted after the game that it was really, really difficult to judge anything out there on that field. There's a point pregame, David, where we're sitting up in the press box and Big Z and I are looking at the, the, the goalposts in the south end zone and the flags are pointing due north. And then we look to the north end zone and the flags in the north end zone are pointing due south. And then we look at the American flag above the stadium and it's blowing directly to the lake. And you're like, okay, good luck anyone trying to judge this wind because you look in three different places in the stadium right now and it's blowing in three different directions. <laughs> and so so good luck being a kicker. And, and to your point, we saw it on a Sam Mustafer snap that got away. Yeah. We saw it on a Patrick Scales snap that didn't get away. We saw it on a couple Josh Allen passes that fluttered. The football was impossible to track. And and so, again, for, for Cairo to, to be dealing with what he was dealing with, come in and make three kicks is no small thing. All right, so let's get to our three-word reviews. We get back to you solicited some post-game good idea, and you've got some that you want to share before we share our own if you were able to come up with your own because some of the ones that we got uh, on, on Twitter, at Take the North Pod, pretty good. I, you know, this is, uh, I got to give uh, old colleague Rich Campbell credit for introducing this because it, you get some creativity, you get some wit, you get some good stuff when you solicit these. And so here's a, a handful of the ones that I liked from Saturday evening. Mike White at, at I am Mike White gave us the uh, festive ho ho dough. <laughs> <laughs> dough. <laughs> which, which, which I loved. And uh, Homer Simpson. Similar theme from Matt M, who gave us ho-ho-hum, which I think was also appropriate for this ho-hum team and this ho-hum season. Uh, we go to at Grignock 
gave us Tanky McTank Tank, which I know you love. You know, I love that one. <laughs> Tanky McTank Tank. Okay. All we're doing is tanking. Uh, Eric Hansen gave us Fields Legs Matter which is something that we just talked about a minute ago and we'll talk about more in a bit in terms of the the, the need to use that as a weapon and now the need to find something uh, that, that complements that offensively. Uh, at Audio Jack, Jock, Jack or Jock? At Audio Jack? Not sure. Uh, gave us almost the offseason. Talked okay. about that a minute ago. Okay. I can't wait for the offseason for I about know. 15 reasons. Two more games. Uh, but I think that that's there. Um at Zach Ferguson or at Zferg ninety four, Zach Ferguson gave us hurt so good, which I think is a uh, a note on those who are enjoying the losing because of what it means for their draft status. Also, and then, uh, let, let, you cannot overlook the reference to John Cougar Mellencamp. Probably that I am. <laughs> right. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I thought you were going to sing it for us, yeah. right? No, no, I don't think we'll do that. No, <laughs> it's so good. There you go. Come on, baby, make it. All right, and then our last one comes you from can at edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> our last one comes from at Tank one three nine one seven, and he says future looks bright. Okay, if he says so. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So that leads me naturally to mine, okay. which was close to what. <laughs> close this, to what question this theory mark. that the bears are close i will get into more of this in a minute I, I i don't know what they're close to and i don't know why the future is looking so bright to so many people but uh yours okay mine would be coldest reality yet love it coldest reality yet certainly in, in the way of the temperature nine degrees nine below wind chill i think it got down to 12 below Windchill, according to some reports. Yeah. And just the reality that, yeah, these are the Bills. This is what a Super Bowl team looks like. This is what happens when they wake up from going through the motions in the first half. And this is what you are. Look in the mirror. And, boy, you are not one offseason away, maybe two offseasons away, from being the team that is opposite you on the sidelines. So that was, to me, the eighth loss in a row, the coldest reality yet. I love it. I love it. And and listen, it's not going to be as cold in Detroit. I'm going to go <laughs> spend New Year's Day in, in, in New Year's Day in an indoor stadium at Ford Field, uh, and hopefully the Bears will will warm up in some regards there against a, a Lions team that's been hot recently, but came back down to earth this week, and then obviously uh, you know has one of the worst defenses in the league, which should be a, a get well remedy.